Alrighty. So even though we don't amplify this mic, the five people who listen to the podcast find it very helpful to hear the questions being asked. So Ryan's going to pass a mic that you won't think is on around. Um, you don't have to say your name so that the people listening don't have to know who you are. Um, but they do need to hear it. First off, Lee, what blanks did I miss? Um, I'm not sure about one E. Poison. One E. Yeah, poison. Wholehearted. Wholehearted. Any other blanks missing? Non judgmental and wholehearted. Righteousness is righteousness. Teaching, encouragement, and rebuke. Any other blanks missing? All right. Oh, you missed two more. True sons of God. Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, you should be called sons of God. So people are peacemakers doing this or proving themselves to be just that. And then the last one, a righteous body is a peaceful body. We good? Okay, no worries. 2A. Um, A1, you mean? A what? A. 2A. Right after the word A is the word what. The blank is what. Yes, what. So it's what, how, and who. What, a harvest of righteousness. How, it's sown in peace. Who does the sowing? Those who make peace. So... Just a way of framing, framing the text. The what, the how, and the who. Okay. Now, any, any questions or thoughts from this or from last week's this section on wisdom? I'll start calling on people. Um... Okay. What are let's let's come up. I gave two example, three examples of I think some of the some of the plausible wisdom from below. The three I gave last week and this week were um, the desire to press on, even though I'm no longer being loving or kind or gentle, because I'm right and because the end is in sight. That is a godless wisdom. The wisdom that's just desiring to be the clever guy, to be the mic drop guy, to be the guy who's just silencing people and that selfish, self-centered focus to want to be that guy. And then this morning, the example, the wisdom that says, look, if I bark at those who are under my authority, I can get what I want a lot easier than if I take the time to go minister to them. Um, any other examples of, of some of this wisdom that, can t- that, that conflicts with God's. Can you think of any other? I'm just confessing the ones I struggle with. I'm sure there are many more strains of it. Um, I can get creative if I want, but that's, that's my challenge. What, do you, what are some other wisdom from belows? Because there, there's an apparent, there's an inherent coherent logic to it. I mean, it, it works of a sense. I probably can get my kids to leave me alone if I bark at them. But at what price, right? Liz, in the back. 
Yes, it's, it's tough because the Bible has sarcasm. Apparently, there is a place for righteous sarcasm. I mean, Baal, the prophets of Baal and Elijah, Baal, Elijah's pretty sarcastic to them. They're cutting themselves. They're crying out. And he says, ah, cut yourself a bit deeper, maybe a bit louder. Maybe your God's gone on a long journey. Maybe he's asleep and you need to yell louder and wake him up. Maybe he's in, in, literally like in the bathroom. So why don't you scream? And there's some sarcasm. Paul uses sarcasm in 1 Corinthians 3. We have become, you have become rich and we're poor. Sarcasm, the way I use it with my kids, the way I, you not use it, the way I explain it to my kids, is like a sharp knife. And not, unless you know how to use a sharp knife, it's not just something you use all the time. You can cut, cut up. There is a place for sarcasm. It's probably not nearly as frequently as I tend to think it is. <laughs> um, I think the best explanation for sarcasm, um, Jay Adams wrote, at least in dealing with Paul's use of it in 1 Corinthians, it's kind of like a slap for a hysterical person when somebody's so out of touch. You kind of like, do you see what you're doing? That might be a, a place for it. Um, but sarcasm as a way of cutting people down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, usually sarcasm is, let me show you my contempt for you. Let me pour out my scorn on you. Let me um, punish you. I mean, I'm stealing from Mitchell, because in three weeks, Mitchell's got the next text. Um, but that's fine. I can steal from him. Um, but, yeah, sarcasm is, is a way. The, the wisdom of sarcasm, that's the wisdom. The apparent wisdom of sarcasm, I didn't have to raise my voice. I didn't use any cuss words. What? I was once doing some marriage counseling with a, a couple, and the husband was kind of like the Fred Flintstone type. He'd, he'd blow his top and yell and maybe cuss a little bit. But man, she never raised her voice, but she would just little daggers, little, little, you know what I mean? And she was like, what? He's the one that's yelling, and he's the one that's, you know, occasionally dropping an F-bomb, and it's like, uh. <laughs> an evil tongue doesn't have to just be one using four-letter words, you know? So there can be a sense of guile or cleverness or hiddenness in sarcasm especially if you're good at being subtle about it you know um were they just making fun of me i don't know i mean there's a wisdom in all of that that certainly can make me feel superior you know um so all of that is from below yeah there, there is it's not as simple i'm literally I'm making it pushing back the other ways it's not as simple as sarcasm bad or you're condemning paul you're condemning god in some places uh, in isaiah Oh, call upon this stump. It will teach you. It is a God. Well, that's sarcasm, right? Um, except God is doing it to, to help. I mean, it, it, that's a perfect example of waking up the blind person. Like, do you, do you realize how dumb it is? You went to the forest. You cut the thing down. You labored over it for months, and now you're bowing down to it. You made it. It didn't make you, <laughs> you know. But th so there's, it's so ridiculous that this mockery is, I think, you got to see how stupid this is. Um, but, yeah, sarcasm usually is, a, is for me to either hide that I'm being rude or to make myself see, be superior. Um, and trust me, I'm somebody who naturally loves sarcasm. Um, that it's, we've, yes. Yes, okay. More thoughts? Don. Bad thing. Well, 
Yeah. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll give you one example. We, we don't like our kids using the word stupid. And then you read the Proverbs, whoever hates reproof is stupid. And they look at you and they go, what? And it's like, yeah, there, there's a place and a time to call someone stupid. You don't have the wisdom to know what that is. So you don't get to play with those sharp knives, you know. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so part of it is, is yeah, is, is yeah, yeah. Good. Good. Other other types of seductive, believable lies of false wisdom. Um, I'll, I'll throw some more in. I think can think of. If somebody's wrong enough, and they're wrong enough about important stuff, I don't have to be courteous or kind to them. I can scorn, sneer, and mock them if they're really, really, really wrong. I'm tempted to believe that one, right? No, am I the only one? Okay, no. I'm just confessing my own sins. Um, <laughs> all right, you smell what I'm stepping in. Excellent. Because after all, I mean, it's big error. So those, those are the types of things that, I mean, and again, getting back to this wisdom thing, if you think this is easy, you're probably not getting it. The, the challenge is holding it all together. We all know that if you simply don't, affirm anything as true but everyone's got their perspective and that's it you will at least on the surface level get along with everybody and be fine there'll be a certain amount of peace but you've let go of truth we also know there's a person who's all truth and you know they so i used to envision myself you know um like the prophet elijah or or you know ezekiel or something the lord i mean because i mean man the lord tells ezekiel israel is a hard-hearted people but don't worry i'm gonna make your forehead even harder yeah, that's me. I'm just hard-headed. Um, and that's not good. <laughs> and the challenge is putting it all together, being peaceable, being wise as serpents and harmless as doves, being respectable, knowing when it's appropriate to possibly even use an edge and sarcasm, um, letting God's wisdom direct it. It's, it's really hard. Um, if you think it's easy, you're not grasping the weight of the task. This is difficult, and so we're looking at its fruit. But if the desire moving forward, and this is, again, what just gets me, is the desire to be p- smart, appear clever. Um, it's, uh, it's not coming from above. The Holy Spirit is not encouraging me to see how many people liked my snappy comeback on Facebook Four more people. That's not the speed. The wisdom from above is not telling me to look at who's liking my comments, okay? That is not what's going on, um, with me at least. Yes, Lee! Microphone. Oh, no, microphone, Lee. We play by the rules here. Yes, speak the truth in love. Yes. Um, Okay. Any other thoughts on any of this? Wisdom from above, wisdom from below. Oh, Don, let me get some more coffee. Yeah.
Right. Well, I think I think that's a that's a great point, Don, because the, the, of course those situations where we're creating a ruckus, we will do so because we believe they're worth making a ruckus for, and maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong. Maybe this is one of those Paul fighting for the purity of the gospel with the Galatians. I mean, he's pretty probably one of the roughest things Paul says uh, in Galatians. I wish that those who are for circumcision would finish the job and emasculate themselves. That's rough, you know. Like that's. Yikes, you know, Um, and so we're tempted to think that's the situation I'm in. Okay, so we can approach it from that, is this a gospel situation? But pause for a moment, and this is what I got to remember. When you're not on those mountaintops, when you're not fighting, contending wholeheartedly for the faith, are you meek? Are you gentle? Would that, you know, in other words, so if you want to, if, and this is the temptation because I want to get in there and go into battle on, you know, whatever. Is, is my communication, when I'm not contending earnestly for the faith once delivered all to the saints, meek, patient, kind, gentle, humble, compassionate, full of mercy, or am I still using a sharp tongue, slicing and dicing, trying to be witty, trying to be clever. That's another way, I think, probably of checking whether or not. So if you're even on the questionable, like, was this worth getting in a fight over? Pause. What about everything else you have to say is a good check as well. Because as you're saying, one of the things that makes this ring true is we know Christ, who is capable of you whitewashed tomb, but we see his meekness and his gentleness and his humility all over the place. So when he does lash into the Pharisees, it's not because you get the impression Jesus likes a good fight, but because this is the appropriate, right, and righteous thing to do. And we see his meekness, and we see his gentleness, and so when it is time, you get the impression it's not because he just likes slicing and dicing people. It's Jesus saying, do, do you not think I could call upon ten legions of angels? It's, I'm not being crucified for lack of power. I'm being crucified because I deign to be crucified. I will to be crucified. You know, Jesus had power under control. <laughs> absolutely. Um, ab- no, absolutely. Good. Other thoughts, questions? Matthew, in the front. Yeah, I remember one of my professors at college showing me where Jesus says to the disciples, I have much more to say to you, and you cannot bear it right now. He said, Jeremy, 
Has that thought ever crossed your mind? I said, no. No, because as a debate machine, my point was like the second you couldn't respond, like it's time to dump, you know. And so, yeah, being mindful, not just of what I want to say, but the condition of the hearer, where are they at? Have they they had enough to chew on? Are they full? Uh, Being considerate of them. Yeah, that's peace. That's partly being peaceful and open to reason. It's like, okay, clearly I can see you're chewing on what I've said rather than here's 27 more reasons why I'm right. Chew on that. Get back to me. Let me know what you think. Um, It's less efficient. It's going to take more time, right? But it sounds more godly, I think, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, that, but that's, that's, let me, let me say one other thing. A common thing is people, and I got, this is nuance, because like a lot of things, there's some truth to it. The nuance being, I got to speak my truth. Well, if my truth is wicked, I don't need to speak my truth. Um, if my truth is, I really could be translated, I'm going to rail, speak evil of, and curse these people who've bothered me, I, I need to shut my mouth. So there is something to, I, I need to tell you where I'm coming from, but learning how to speak that in a way that is righteous is also challenging. So a lot of evil speech can be justified with, I'm just speaking my truth or I'm just unloading myself. Well, if what I'm unloading is, what a jerk, you know, Ryan's been. I just got to tell you, man, how, oh, and he, then he, then he, what am I doing? I'm gossiping, I'm speaking evil. Well, I'm just unloading and speaking my truth and being me, you know. A lot of a lot of corrupt communication can be hidden under that, which is where it gets challenging, you know, um, to to unburden ourselves to others, but do it not as an excuse to gossip, slander and and speak evil of people. It, no, it can be difficult. And a lot of just no, they need this. What's their perspective? You know, type of thing can come into it. And it's like, no, no, that's not re- that doesn't allow you to say anything. Um I remember talking to somebody who would say all sorts of terrible things about their husband in the presence of their husband, and the answer was, but I'm speaking my heart. It's like, and that a heart is deceitful and wicked above all. <laughs> it's not some, that, that's, that's not like a hall pass to say whatever you want. Um, yes, what, tell me what you're thinking, but can you try to rein it in with wisdom so that you're speaking it rightly? Yes. Yes, Don. Yes. Mm. No, no, I, I, yeah. Well, that was that was the big oh, oh, aha moment for me having come to faith, coming to salvation out of a background of religiosity and decisionalism and, and, and I was so focused on the truth and believing that nice, schmarmy, milk toast people who 
didn't have the guts to say the truth plainly were leading me on a road to hell that, okay, well then to heck with love. I'll just focus on the truth. And that's wrong as well. But that, that was absolutely where I was coming from. Like, so you're telling me that a bunch of people who didn't have, I mean, I, I, I remember, oh man, so many nice meaning people told me so many unhelpful things. I remember about three years before I came to faith, um, being really troubled, convicting my conscience, and somebody assuring me that only a Christian would worry about whether they were a Christian or not. Yet to find that verse, but it sounded persuasive in the moment. Here, my conscience is restless. My conscience is bothered. Like, there are things in the Bible to solve the conscience. It's not, though, take comfort in the fact that you're uncomfortable. <laughs> and I went, okay. You know, and... So enough of things like that just made me like fooey with being nice. Truth hurts, baby, you know, and, and so I went the other way. And uh, the Lord has been patient and kind in trying to bring me more to the center. And so other people, the op- it'll be the opposite danger. You're, you're good with kindness. You're good with being listening and being patient. The hard thing is going to be saying truth that might divide, truth that might blow things up, you know that 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 might be the challenge for others um so yeah yes liz Now, that's, that's challenging because on the one hand, they're not paying you to get your political opinions, but they're chatting with you. I, what I usually try to do when I'm dealing – the last time I got a haircut, I was uh, – sorry, Liz. I was at great clips. And the woman, the woman chatting with me was throwing stuff out. And I'm trying to see if she actually wants to talk about what she's saying or if she's just throwing out her opinions. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. How would you come to that thing? And I'm just trying to figure out, does she actually want to talk about this or these platitudes? And what I'm trying to figure out is, like, if you don't actually mean to talk, if you're just speaking because you got to do something, I'll sit here and be quiet and we'll do a haircut. If you actually want to chat about this, I'd love to. Like, oh, that's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about trying to find some in-between things to make it clear I'm not saying absolutely yes. Huh, that's interesting. No, that's a tough topic, yeah. You know, and just see if, try to tease them out and see 
does this person want to talk or am I going to offend them if I talk? So that, that's one of the things I've tried to do is, is it's not just, okay, you brought up the topic, so bam, here we come. We're trying to figure out if they actually want to have a conversation or not. Um, and if not, like, whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, it was well, tough. I mean, this is part of uh, pa- Paul seasoning our words with salt. So you know how to give an answer to everyone. Okay, how do I give a salty answer that might make not salty in that sense? Salty, you know. But s- salty is in making them want more. Like like you like salt makes p- people you can't lead a horse to water, but you can salt their oats type of thing. Yes. Okay, Tim. Mi- microphone, Tim. Yeah. And, but if they're wise and they're open, then you know you'll see he's growing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's praying for wisdom and b- the biggest advice I just give you, Liz, is when I deal with people, I find that when I'm attentive, Lord, help me to see opportunities to speak. Help me to see uh, windows where I can try to open up a conversation. God is faithful giving me the wisdom to do it. My, when I feel faithless is when I just didn't even think about it. And then I look back and I'm like, some ambassador for God's kingdom I am. <laughs> you know. So if you're looking at it saying, Lord, if there, I want to see those opportunities and I want to not be afraid when they come up to take them. Could you show them to me? I, I think the Lord can work with that. I think his spirit will be faithful to answer that. Um, and there's all sorts of ways to do it. People also like talking about themselves. So w- the other thing I can try to do sometimes is draw people out and try to get them to bring out the superstructure of what they think. Like, why do you think that or, or whatever? Um, and then you can start asking them some questions that, you know, can potentially lead to further conversation. Most people are happy talking about themselves and what they think, um, you know. And um, I remember once a friend of mine brought a girl he met over to our house a couple of times and she was she was this free spirited. She was out there. And one day she started telling me what she, her, because she found out I was a pastor. She's like, well, let me tell you what I believe. I'm like, oh, fantastic. And it was this bizarre, like, pastiche of, like, karma reincarnation levels. I mean, it was, it was, it was bizarre. And she was really excited about it. And I spent probably 15 minutes asking questions. Oh, that's interesting. How does that work? And she got the whole thing up. And then tried to turn the corner at the end. This is a bad example because she never came back. But at the end, at the end, I said, that is really fascinating. Thank you for taking the time to share that. Can I ask you, where, where, what makes you think that's true? Like, how, where'd you get that from? And her first response is, oh, basically what she said in equivalence was, it pleases, I like that. It's pretty, basically. I like to think of it. I was like, you're, you're basing your entire life and eternity on something that, if I understand you right, you're only holding to because it pleases you. It's pretty. It's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. You know? Um, <laughs> and you know, now is when I'm starting to round the corner because the thing I said before that is, you know, if, if what you're saying is true, I, I would, if, you, if what you're saying, if you could convince me what you're saying is true, I'd, I'd quit my job and join up with your thing. I mean, if what you're, I'm interested in truth here. So if you're right and you convince me, right, I would 
quit my job and we'll go do that. But I need to know what makes you think it's right. And all of a sudden, but at the very least, I'd spent five or ten minutes asking her questions, trying to really understand what she's saying. I think I could even now put together her worldview, you know, um, not in a fake way. Now, I want to hear what you're saying, but when it came to the issue of truth, there was nothing there. It turned out she wasn't interested. I mean, it, I think for her, it was, it was similar to uh, self-expression. You know, in the same way that my wardrobe expresses me, my theology expresses me, and that's basically it was her utility for her was her her theology was simply more self-expression. But even there, the issue of like, okay, so you just believe this because it's pleasing to believe this. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Do we have another person? Are you looking for somebody? No? Any other thoughts, complaints, thinking on this? Scott? Okay. Can't disagree with that. Can't disagree with that. Um, no, it's it's uh, it's tough because it's too easy to say that people dislike us because they don't like the truth. Sometimes they don't like us because we're being jerks. Um, right, <laughs> Peter. Yeah. So that that is the challenge um, to to be. Harmless as doves and lies as serpents. It's easy to be one or the other. The challenge is being both. The challenge is the truth in love. Um, and uh, this is uh, something we need to to uh, grow in. Um, and what's difficult is today, when dealing with truth, more and more I think people believe um, if you disagree with me, you hate me. I, I think more and more that's what people believe, which is not helpful. Um, so, I mean, everything's phobic. If you disagree with Islam, it's Islamophobic. Could it not just be we have a real disagreement? There's no room. Everything's psychologized. If you disagree with me, it's really a sign of animus, hatred, or fear, right? Um, which is not helpful. Which then, of course, means, if you flip that around backwards, what's it mean to be loving? To be loving is to be affirming. And so nuanced, but because of that, we need to be particularly careful to not let sarcasm. I mean, if I'm trying to tell somebody I disagree with, that I care for them and love them, and they're predisposed to think, no, you don't. This is all an excuse for you to be a hateful bigot. Can you imagine what harm I do the second they detect sarcasm or an edge in my words? What are they going to say? I knew it all along. You're just a jerk. So this is part of the reason why when we're dealing, especially with the issues of, uh, of identity, right? I mean, because that's what the culture has done. They've taken sexual orientation. They've, take, they've made it who and what you are. Um, when we're dealing with those, my goodness, we need to be careful because you know they're predisposed to think if you disagree or don't approve, it's because of animus, hatred, and self-righteousness. So the last thing we need to do is give any reason for someone to think that. Uh, we need to just belabor being kind, gentle, peaceable, courteous, so that hopefully after time, no, no, maybe Jeremy does actually just disagree with me and not hate me, right? 
But I'm telling you, the amount of damage we can do with one sarcastic term, one slur, one condescending look is going to take like it's it's tough. But that's the uphill battle we got. It's part of the reason why when I deal with some of these topics, I try to make the point like, yeah, I get it. Why the world has a hard time taking us seriously on some things. Right. Like take marriage. How much of a fuss did the church make at no fault divorce laws? How many rallies? I would argue that the introduction of no-fault divorce laws was as big, if not a bigger change in the definition of marriage than Obergefell. Prior to no-fault divorce laws, marriage was viewed as a covenant where some demonstration of some crime had to take place for a divorce to happen. You had to bring evidence and cite the crime. No faults, like we don't need, no one needs to be the bad guy. No one's at fault. Prior to that, you had to bring some complaint, some amount of evidence. The government recognized this is a strong enough issue that there needs to be some criminal activity to break it up and so reagan who was the first governor in california to introduce no-fault divorce laws i mean like some things about reagan but that was a mistake the church doesn't speak up loudly doesn't have big um, political rallies doesn't make a big deal of it then obergefeld comes up in the church does and your unbelieving neighbor looks at you and says it's really tempting to believe that you're not the pro-marriage people, you're just the anti-gay people. And I want to say, fair enough, I get it. <laughs> I, I get why you could think that. And I will accept some, not responsibility, but I, I will recognize I'm going uphill to convince you otherwise. Right? So that's part of this and why we need to speak the truth in love and we need to work in the wisdom from above and not below does that does that make any sense to what i'm saying there i mean i wasn't around for that with reagan and everything so i'm not like i don't i wasn't doing it but i get why the person sitting on the sidelines thinks you just seem to like you you're picky about where you cry foul you know i mean that's one of the reasons my friend points this out it's one of the reasons why the amish keep winning in court because it's clear the amish believe what they believe they don't have electrical outlets in their homes. So whatever's going on with the Amish, no one thinks that's a bunch of phony hypocrisy. They get that the Amish are sincere. I'll give it to Islam and the radical Islam. You got some true believers there. The guys on 9-11 believed what they believed with a, with a tenacity that is intimidating and frightening. They're so confident in their beliefs, they're willing to die for them. Good grief. So one sec, Lee, one sec. So all, all I'm saying is we are fighting an uphill battle just because culturally we've given, an, or at least people claiming our name, have given enough room for people to be a little dubious that maybe we believe this and are making a fuss out of this, not because we really sincerely believe it, but because we like to look down on this group or that group. And we've got to not give any grounds for people to think that's true. Um, the, the first time you tell a gay joke, you're going to undermine so much, so much work, and it's destructive, let alone ungodly. But Lee, microphone. Give Lee the microphone. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Right. No, no, I, I, we need to we need to not be respecters of sins. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's uh that's where any amount of self-righteousness were because what we're tempted to think is the sins I struggle with aren't as bad as the sins you struggle with. I struggle with Jerry Bridges has a book Respectable Sins. I struggle with respectable sins. But the real heathens, the real messed up people, they struggle with those other things not the things I struggle with, and that's just, that's not from above, it's from below. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we got about 10 minutes. Any other thoughts or questions or complaints or anything? Um, Don? Without wax. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Go for it, man. Sine sire, um, without wax, yeah. Well, it gets back to the basic notion of integrity or undiluted, that, that what, through and through, it's not one part over here and another part over here, it's not cordoned off. Um, that, that really, James goes back to that picture of inward division versus inward wholeness again and again and again. The double-minded splits, literally, I mean, either he or Paul, because Paul uses the word, there's no evidence of the word outside or prior to that, so... Paul or James or the communities they're part of coins the word diasuke, split sold, split inwardly divided. And it again and again is James' picture of instability and doubting and what he's calling us to is unified wholeness. Um, a tongue that doesn't dart this way and that way. Um, sincerity, no invert. Yeah, that, that's James's picture of maturity and godliness. And and again, I mentioned this before, but Paul and other places do have doctrinal measurements and bars for wisdom. So Paul can say, if anyone does not confess the Son, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, right? Or, um, that's John, sorry, First John 2. Then Paul can say, anyone who goes beyond what is written is self-condemned. You got, so there are doctrinal boundaries, right? James isn't dealing with those. James is just like, hey, are you a jerk? You're not wise. And this, it's so practical because it disarms me because I'm like, I'm working with the Greek text here and I got this church father and I'm of course I'm being loving. And James has no interest in any of that. He's like, hey, you uh, working for selfish ambition? Yeah, shut up. Stop boasting about the truth. Um, so I, I love 
James's single focus. It's not the only quality of wisdom, but it is absolutely an essential and key quality of wisdom. Um, that that the the way in which we speak is as important as what we speak. Okay. Anything else, or do you want me to let you go early? Don still got the mic, so there's there's more. Come on, Don. Bring us home. Well, that's another way to think about it. Unity, peace is less the absence of conflict and and the idea, the biblical idea of peace, and more being unified. And without any sort of common truth, what are we unified over? Unity and our peace comes from truth. It comes from, it's one of the reasons why when people become members here, we ask, hey, you've read our statement of faith. You you think of statements of faith, and statements of faith can sometimes be bad. I've known some people call them like paper popes. Um, they're good insofar as this is a representation of what we believe. This is the common confession of those who gather in Marsdale. We think this is a fair summary of what we think the Bible teaches. This is what seems good to us, our confession. To that degree, our statement of faith is useful. The second we start making it an authority, you know, um, it becomes unuseful or bad. But yeah, our our fellowship in part is centered around a common unity and confession of belief. And so not that to become a member, you got to believe every jot and tittle of what we think, but you should be in substantive agreement and you should know what we believe and not be in like direct fighting opposition to it because how will there be peace then, right? Uh, so that's one of six points we go through with membership is, hey, this is what we all believe. What do you think? You know, and so so that's a significant. I mean, that's the second point. The first is trust in Jesus Christ, the gospel, like having a credible profession of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very second point we cover is: Are we roughly on the same page? What we believe? Um, if not, we should keep talking. If not, it's not like go get lost. It's like well, let's keep talking. But we, we'd hope to have substantive agreement um, and no opposition to this. Yes. Oh no. Okay. Pat doesn't have something to say. Okay, five minutes. You guys want to go early? Or anybody else? You guys can go early. God bless you. Thank you.